0: This is really odd because obviously we've got most of the church watching at home, but as you can see from the feed this morning, there are people in the room. uh, So you might have been able to see the back of my head a little bit more clearly this morning. Um, it's great that we can uh, join with you at home, but uh, just so you're aware of what's kind of going on in the room, because you might be questioning it, we're, we're trialling out today having people uh, with us as we uh, do the live stream. Uh, we are allowed to uh, do that, so under the current guidance for, for places of worship, and so we're trying trying that out this morning, and we're just troubleshooting lots of different things, because it would be our hope and our joy that at some stage we might be able to get people back in the room with us. Uh, whilst we do this and so we're trying out today to make sure we are as safe and secure as we possibly could be and so uh, we're going to get some feedback from people this morning Uh, so also today I won't be looking directly at the camera all the time because there are people in the room that I can say hello to as well which is which is kind of unusual after six months of it not being the case and so before I get into Mark this morning uh Mwaka said on the video, and I t- I'd totally forgotten that I was going to do this today, and introduce our next series after this to you. So what I'll do is I'll just talk about that really quickly. So after this week, so this is the last uh, in our se- series on Mark today, and I'm going to be speaking from Mark 16, so you might want to find that whilst I'm saying this uh, right now. But over the next seven weeks, so next from next Sunday, we're going to be looking at a series called Together. And we want to focus on what it means to be the church Um, and why it's important that you continue to meet with other Christians. The longer this goes on for, the easier it could be for all of us to get into a very individualistic style of Christianity where it's just about you and your walk with God and worshipping God on your own. Whereas actually the Bible teaches quite clearly that we're called to be together. You look in Acts 2 or look in Hebrews 10 and you can see that actually there's kind of an exhortation, particularly in Hebrews, to not give up on the habit of meeting together. And so we're going to be looking at that as a series and also be looking at why we do the things we do as a church community. So why do we worship together? Why do we pray together? Why do we read the Bible together? So I'm hoping it will be informative to you, but also I'm hoping that it will be an encouragement to you as well uh, to continue meeting with us. So that's what we're going to be going into in the next uh, seven weeks. But today we're in Mark 16 and uh, we are going to be finishing off our series on Mark, looking at the resurrection together. And if I was going to reflect on this week, for me personally, it's been a week of joy and frustration. So almost in equal measure, I would say. So first of all, it's been a week of joy because over the last week we've been able to meet and uh, together as a church to pray. And it has been great to see so many of you online. So thank you if you were able to join us for one or more of those meetings to pray uh, with me over the course of the week. It's been great to do that. And so that's been really joyous to be able to see some of you Um, but it's been tinged with huge frustration. First of all because I was fasting for four days and I was really hungry. So it got to Thursday afternoon and I was really grumpy. That was the first reason why I was frustrated but secondly I think more importantly uh, and probably you share this with me as well a frustration over the fact that um, it looks like we're going to be stuck in this situation maybe for a lot longer than any of us had envisioned, I can't even say the word, back in March. So if we go back to March the 23rd when they announced the lockdown and You know, we actually met for the last time on on March the 15th. So if we go all the way back to that point in time, I had never assumed that we would be looking at potentially March next year as being a a point where, I mean, at the earliest point that we might actually be able to gather as as normal based around what has been uh, announced this week. It could be that we could be in the situation that we're in at the moment for another six months. And that's been a real blow to me personally. Um, But also just because I I know it's a real heartbreak for some of you. That you've been stuck at home for these six months and you've not been able to actually interact with other people a, a great deal. And to, to the prospect of now another six months of this, um, I know that it is really heartbreaking for many of us. I've said it before and I'm gonna say it again now. If you feel like you're suffering, if you feel like you're going through a trial, the best book you can find in the Bible for this, in my opinion, in the New Testament particularly, is First Peter. So first Peter, Peter wrote this book to the Asian Christians to encourage them through a time of persecution and trials. And he says this, "'According to his great mercy, "'he has caused us to be born again to a living hope "'through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, "'to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, "'kept in heaven for you, "'who by God's power are being guarded through faith "'for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. "'In this you can rejoice,' Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by by various trials. So I look at the last week and I feel like we're being grieved by various trials. As As individuals, as a church and as a nation, we're being grieved by various trials. But what Peter says here is, if you are in Christ, if you know Jesus, you have hope in the resurrection. Because of the resurrection, we can have hope. And we're looking at the resurrection today together and I feel like it's like a really timely place to be as, as, as a church community today, to be dwelling in this whole section of Scripture that we can find hope in. Jesus says in John, take heart, I have overcome the world. And so this morning is, is a morning of taking heart for you as an individual as we look at the resurrection story together. So let's read our verses from Mark 16, verses 1 to 8, shall we? When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, And Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint Jesus. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, "'Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb?' And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, "'Don't be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified.' He has risen, he's not here. See where the place where they laid him. But go tell this to his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he has told you. And they went out and they fled from the tomb for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. So you've got this story and it ends very, very abruptly with the women running out of the tomb seized with fear and astonishment and, uh, and this whole idea that they actually they come away from it trembling you see it in the text they're trembling as they run away what, what are they to make of this scenario that they found so what happened let's just talk about this in, 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 in kind of maybe a bit more plain English so that Jesus has been buried he's been placed into a tomb so in the first century uh, if you were fortunate, you would be placed in a tomb. Your body would be placed there. And you would be joined gradually by other members of a family unit. But as you see in the New Testament, Jesus is placed in, in the tomb of somebody else. He's, he gets allotted a space. And so Jesus' body is in this tomb. And Jesus, when Jesus dies, it's then the Sabbath. And on the Sabbath, Jews don't do anything. So we find at the earliest opportunity, these three women, they come to the tomb to anoint Jesus' body uh, with, with spices, Why are they doing that? Well, look, dead bodies tend to smell. And if you're going to go into a tomb and put another dead body in the tomb, you don't want to be met with the stink of rotting, rotting flesh. So what they used to do is they used to embalm the bodies with spices. So these women are going to do that. Maybe also there's a sense in which they're going just to be with Jesus one last time, to be with his body. And they get there, and they're saying to one another on the way, who's going to open this this tombstone? Who's going to be able to push it back? Maybe they're looking at each other's biceps and going, I don't think you're going to be able to do it. So they kind of get there, and and they get there, and all of a sudden they realise that the, the tombstone has already been rolled away. In the text we find it's a large stone. It's been rolled away, and they go into the tomb, and they find a young man in there. Now in the Old Testament and throughout the Bible, you will see angels appear, In in the form that this uh, young of this young kind of man here, we see it in in similar ways in white robes. So we see this uh, throughout the Bible. So actually, it doesn't take us a long, a large leap to go. This is not just a young man. This is an angelic visitation, and this angel comes to announce to these three women that Jesus hasn't just been, hasn't just disappeared. He's actually risen again. And the reaction to this is is interesting. See, quite almost. In a similar way to uh, the disciples in the boat with Jesus, as I preached on earlier on in this series, or even the transfiguration that I preached on earlier, where the disciples are fearful of what they see. Actually, again, we see that here. They they, they are afraid of what they've seen. They're not overjoyed at the miracle. They're actually in fear. And this, this whole sequence ends really abruptly, doesn't it? It ends on this kind of cliffhanger moment. I don't know whether you've watched a film that ends like that and you kind of go to your phone straight away to find out whether there's going to be a sequel. I need to find out if there's going to be a sequel to this particular movie because I want to find out what happens next. Or, on the other side of it, maybe you've watched a film and it goes on for far too long at the end, like Lord of the Rings. You know, there's that bit at the end of Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King, and it goes on for like another half an hour as they tie down absolutely every loose end within it. Um, in some ways, it's quite nice because they tie it all together. But actually, in another way, it's a little bit frustrating. But here we have this kind of cliffhanger moment at the end of the story. It's a cliffhanger. Now, you might say, why is he saying that Mark finishes with verse 8? I've got verses 9 to 20 in my Bible. Well, verses 9 to 20 are actually, uh, they appear in later manuscripts. So the way that the, the Bible has been compiled... And the way that the New Testament, in particular, when we look at that, what happens is is when translators come together, so the translation of the Bible you have in English has been translated from the Greek and uh, from other Latin sources as well, and it gets translated together, and, and, and the translators look at it, what they do is they get all of the manuscripts together, and they pore over them, and they work out what the best translation is in English. And what you'll find is that actually the earliest copies that they have of Mark do not have verses 9 to 20 in them. So what are we to make of that? Well, look, Actually, when we look at the text, and we're looking at the Gospel of Mark in this series, so I think Mark's Gospel finishes with verse 8. But I actually think that somebody came along at a later date after reading Luke and Matthew and thought, well, actually what we're going to do is we're going to include some of the stuff that we see elsewhere and we're going to put this into the text as well to to round off the story. So it doesn't make the the verses 9 to 20 wrong. There's nothing wrong with them. In fact, they're in your Bible, so they are God's words. But actually, did Mark write them? That's the question. And I don't think Mark did. I think Mark maybe actually intended to leave it on a cliffhanger. The women find the tomb, the stone rolled away empty. They, they, they hear that Jesus has risen from the angel. And then they flee. They run away. They're not filled with joy, but they're filled with fear. Maybe they're asking themselves, what, what, what next? What do we do with this information? Jesus has risen, says the angel. But what do we do with it? Jesus has risen, but, but where is he? Jesus has risen, but why is he risen? I don't quite understand it. So there's this kind of cliffhanger moment that deserves a response. Hence why I can really understand why somebody after, after Mark has come along and said, actually, I'm going to add these extra verses to it just to kind of round off the story. I'm going to take these other sources and I'm going to round off the story. It's really got me thinking this week, why would Mark leave it like that? One thing I would say, and I think the most important thing for each of us is this. You see, each of us needs to respond to the resurrection. We all need to respond to it. When you and I are met with the resurrection, it requires a response from us. There are many responses to the resurrection. Some would rather avoid it than deal with it. Maybe actually you've been kind of looking at the Christian faith and you've just avoided the question of the resurrection because it might seem a bit weird to you or actually when you start looking at the evidence you kind of think maybe it did happen and to avoid it is to not deal with it. We do that a lot in our culture. We tend to avoid things that are... We put off things that are difficult. And so maybe actually for you as you've looked at the story of, the, of, of Jesus and, and, and his death and resurrection and you've kind of... You've avoided actually making the decision did he come back to life again or not? And it's a really easy thing for us to do. You could read the story and go... Mm, okay, maybe he did, maybe he didn't. I'm going to avoid it. I'm just going to leave it and put it to one side. Uh, Maybe you doubt it. I was chatting to somebody uh, a couple of weeks ago. We've got people in. uh, At the moment, we're renovating our back rooms along the back of the building. We've got contractors in. And I was talking to a a couple of them about the resurrection. And and, and one of them said to me, he doesn't think Jesus died. So he thinks that Jesus actually was in 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 a comatose state when they put him in the tomb. And Jesus didn't actually die. Well, the gospel writers actually account for that Jesus is stabbed in the side and water, what looks like water and blood flows out. And blood separates on death. And so actually as, as they pierced his side, it was, it was a mark to show that Jesus had actually died. He wasn't comatose, he actually had died. But look, a response to the resurrection is definitely, you can doubt it if you want to, that's fine. I question your doubt. Looking at the New Testament, looking at the accounts of the apostles, looking at the fact that they go on and are willing to die for what they've seen. They claim that they've seen Jesus alive, and then they go to the corners of the Roman Empire to tell everybody about it. Some of them die horrific deaths at the hands of other people. So I question whether you can really doubt it. But you can doubt it. So you could avoid it or you could doubt it. But I think the question for all of us is, do you believe it? Did Jesus rise again from death? Do you believe it? Do you believe that this man didn't just get left in a tomb to die, but that actually, as this angel proclaims here, that he has risen? Do you believe it? Do you believe it? Because if you believe it, actually, it will change your life. If you believe it, actually, God will change your life. It's not, and it's not just believing it as a fact either. It's actually living in it as the truth. Paul Paul writes to the Romans that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that he rose again from the dead, you will be saved. He doesn't say, if you believe in your head he rose again from the dead, you will be saved. He says, believe in your heart he rose again from the dead. You need to be convinced of it throughout your whole person that Jesus is risen. You need to realise that it's not just factual information, but actually that factual information will change your whole life. It will change your whole life. So why is the resurrection important? Why is this event so important? What I'm saying, it changes your life. Well, why? Well, if Jesus rose again from the dead, he validates every claim he made about himself. He validates something else that happened to him, his death as well. And it becomes less about just a, a death of a good man and more about the Son of God dying for us and rising again, being victorious over sin. You see, the Bible teaches a story. It teaches that actually humanity has rejected God. We've rejected God. By doing things that God uh, wouldn't do, we reject his ways. So in the Old Testament, you see it time and time again. People reject God's ways. They want to do what they want to do. They don't want to listen to God. They just want to do what they want to do. And they reject him, and they go after what they think is best. And what we learn in the Bible is that actually there's a punishment for that way of living, and it's death. Death is the punishment for rejecting God. God says, okay, if you want to reject me, that's fine, you can be separated from me. Death is the punishment for our rejection of God for our sin. Jesus then comes into the world, the Son of God. And at the start of Mark, we saw that the verse, this is is the gospel of God. Mark writes this gospel to show that the story of man's rejection of God is finding a fulfillment. And the fulfillment is coming in the person of Christ. Jesus steps into creation, the Son of God. He steps in to put right the situation of man's rejection from God and man's separation from God as a result of our our rejection of him. Mankind is separated from God, so God himself comes and steps into creation. He lives a life that you and I couldn't live. One that doesn't reject God's ways, but embraces every single one of them. Jesus embraces everything that God said and does all of it. The life that you and I couldn't live, Jesus lives. And then Jesus goes to the cross and he dies. And he doesn't just die a death. It's not like just you and I dying a death. Jesus actually dies, and as he does that, he is becoming a sacrifice. He's taking our rejection on himself. He's taking the rejection rejection that we've given to God and we've rejected God, and he's taking it on himself. He's taking the punishment of that rejection on himself. He's taking the punishment of sin upon himself. And then he rises again to new life. He defeats death. He defeats the punishment that is over each one of our lives. He defeats it so that you and I are free from our punishment. He defeats it so that you and I no longer have to be separated from God, but we are drawn close because of what he's done. Richard preached last week that as Christ dies on the cross, the curtain in the temple is torn in two. It would have been a very, as Richard said last week, over a foot thick this curtain was of material. And it says that actually in the New Testament, as Jesus died on the cross, this temple curtain was torn in two. And it's demonstrating that now you and I have access into God's presence. We are no longer separated from God. We have been able to draw near because of the blood of Jesus. But the resurrection means that we can have a hope. The resurrection means that we can know that Jesus is king. And we're called to live in the good of that in our lives. Look, if you're a Christian, you will know this already, but you see, you can know it, but not live in it. I can know the resurrection as a Christian, I can know what it means, but am I living in the good of that? You see, if you live in the good of the resurrection, you will have faith in life. If you live in the good of the resurrection, you will have confidence in prayer. You have confidence when you pray. Why? Why? Why will you have confidence when you pray? Well, look, in Hebrews and in Romans, you see these verses that talk about Jesus now seated at the right hand of God, the risen king. He's not dead in a grave. He's alive. He's ruling and reigning on a throne. And he's seated at the right hand of God, and it says that he's ever interceding for you. That means he's praying for you. So when you go to God in prayer, you're not praying to a dead Man in the ground, you're praying to a risen king who is seated on a throne, who has every opportunity and every possibility that he is going to step in and change your situation because he's seated on the throne. You can have hope in death. So as we walk through life, we're all going to face this at some point or another. All all of us, our bodies are dying, they are decaying. That's the punishment of sin over our lives. But you can have hope in death, knowing that actually, like Jesus rose again from the dead, if you are in Christ... The promise is in scripture that one day you too will rise from death and you will experience new life in him forevermore. If you live in the resurrection, you can have faith and security in every situation that you face. If you live in the resurrection, you can trust in the God who keeps his promises. You see, living in the resurrection actually enables you to walk confidently in the Christian life. Going back to what I said at the start from 1 Peter, Peter talks about it being a living hope. It's a hope that we all have. We all can have a hope because of Jesus coming back again from death. Paul writes this to the Romans, chapter 8, verses 34. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, okay, because it's not just Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. Who shall separate us? From the love of Christ. Who shall separate us? If you know this, if you know that Jesus isn't the one who just died but rose again, who is at the right hand of God and is ever interceding for you, who who then shall separate you from his love? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword separate you from Christ's love? Writes Paul to the Romans. No, he says quite clearly. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. COVID will not separate you from God's love. Not being able to be at church for a year will not separate you from Christ's love. Not being able to see your family and friends will not separate you from the great love of God over your life. Because Jesus is risen, you can have this hope. It is sure and steadfast. You need to hear this today. Nothing can separate you from Christ's love. Nothing, writes Paul, nothing, nothing tomorrow that might happen tomorrow is going to separate you from his love. Therefore... Walk in confidence. Therefore, walk in faith. Therefore, step out of the house tomorrow morning with the assuredness of knowing that Christ has risen, that you are no longer separated and alienated from God, but you have been brought near by his blood. Nothing will separate you from him. I'm reminded of that old hymn as I close. Because he lives, you can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because he lives, I know that he holds the future. And life is worth living because he lives. Because he lives, we can face tomorrow, church. Because he lives, you can have confidence. You don't need to live in fear or sorrow. You don't need to live in in sadness that you can't see people. Because Christ lives, you can know his perfect love. Perfect love casts out all fear. So as we close this series down, uh, I'm gonna, can the band come up? We're going to sing as we, as we finish today. But as we close this series down, I'm just going to say a couple of things. Maybe you don't know Jesus. Maybe I've, I've just given you the gospel today. Jesus died and rose again that you might be free from sin and death. Maybe you don't know him. Maybe you'd like to come to him today. You can um, ask on the chat. You can request prayer and somebody will just talk to you about where you're at with God. So maybe that's you. Or maybe this is just a message for you, church, as Christians today. Maybe you've been continuing to live with fear about tomorrow. Live in the good of the resurrection. Don't just believe in your head that he rose again from the dead. Believe in your heart that he rose again from the dead. Know in your knower that God is for you, that he is not against you. Know that nothing will separate you from his love. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that we see this great gospel in Mark the, the gospel that shows us, Jesus, that you walked and lived a perfect life, that you suffered and died at the hands of, of people just like us, and, Lord Jesus, that you rose again to life, Lord Jesus, that you defeated death, and, Lord, I, I pray that as we walk away from today, Lord, we wouldn't be filled with fear and questions, but, Lord, that we would be filled with hope, hope, a living hope would just uh, just rise up within each of us, knowing, Lord Jesus, that you have risen again from death, gives us certainty and hope. So, Lord, I pray for my friends, my brothers, my sisters this morning, Lord, that they might be confident walking into tomorrow. Because you live, Lord Jesus, we can face anything. Lord, I thank you that you're seated at the right hand of the Father, ever interceding for us, and that nothing separates us from your love. Amen.